Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to part two of the episode that we did last week. This is going to be the story of Elijah McLean. I have Roger with me again. Hey, Roger. Hey, Tina. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I definitely wanted to finish up this story about Elijah McLean and what happened to him, This the tragic, tragic story of what happened to him is back in 2019, we started the story and we, we basically got through the Aurora Police Department's version of what happened to Elijah. And at this point where we are in the story is we're kind of starting from the district attorney's analysis, their legal analysis about what happened. So the district attorney took the investigation that the Aurora Police Department did and they said, this is what we think about whether or not we should should bring any charges against anyone. So I'm going to continue with reading from this document that was issued from them. In this instance, in order to file a criminal charge, the district attorney's office must also prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the involved law enforcement officer's actions were not justified under the circumstances surrounding this incident and the applicable Colorado law. Therefore, the legal question presented to the office of the district attorney is whether the prosecution can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the officer's actions were criminal and not justified under Colorado law. Under Colorado law, a law enforcement officer's reasonable suspicion of criminal activity warrants a minimal detention of a person for the purposes of investigating into a person's action. They put a little excerpt I think, of, of the, the law in here, which says a peace officer may stop aid any person who he reasonably suspects is committing, has committed, or is about to commit a crime and may require him to give his name and address identification if available and an explanation of his actions. Number two, when a peace officer has stopped a person for questioning pursuant to this section and reasonably suspects that his personal safety requires it, he may conduct a pat-down search of that person for weapons. Whether reasonable suspicion for criminal activity exists is based upon the totality of the facts known to the officer. In addition, the officer's training and experience must be considered. Based on the circumstances present here, the officers had reasonable basis to not only stop and question Mr. McLean, but also to pat him down for weapons to ensure a safe contact with him. The use of force by a law enforcement officer necessarily invokes an analysis. 
the law applicable to the use of force by a peace officer is what we were just reading. In pertinent part, the language of the statute reads as follows. A peace officer is justified in using reasonable and appropriate physical force upon another person when and to the extent that he reasonably believes it necessary. Okay, and they divide this out. So this is getting kind of technical, but I didn't feel like I could leave this out because it's so important. This is the law. This is the letter of the law in Colorado. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room here. If they think a person has committed, is in the process of committing, or is going to commit a crime, I mean, just they think it, then they have the right to stop that person. And if they stop that person, they have the right to pat them down. That's basically what it said. They're saying, you know, if they reasonably believe it's necessary they, to an effect an arrest or to prevent the escape from custody of an arrested person, unless he knows that the arrest is unauthorized or to defend himself or a third person from what he reasonably believes to be the use of or imminent use of physical force while effectuating or attempting to effect such an arrest or while preventing or attempting to prevent such an escape. So basically, <laughs> you have the you know, if you think somebody's has done something is doing something or is going to do something illegal you have the right to stop them and investigate that if you do stop them and, and investigate that you have the right to pat them down and if they attempt to get away from you you have the right to arrest them it's, it's what i read is what what how i understood to that and based upon the circumstances, you know, they had a report of, of somebody that was acting um, unusual. You know, he was dressed differently than what we would expect during that time of the year. So I'm sure that led into their reasonable suspicion that something was going on. You know, there was something that had been reported, regardless of what your biases may be. I, he, he looked differently than what you would expect somebody to to be at that, that period of time, wearing a, a complete face covering, a, a, a wool cap or a knit cap. And, you know, he witnessed him, you know, uh, moving his arms, unusual patterns. And, and also, based upon what the letter of the law says, you know, he's allowed to stop him. Yes. I really struggle with this because do we not have the right to, you know, I mean, this is, it's, he had a condition where he was cold and it was 80 degrees. And so it, even though it was August, it was in Colorado. And I do, I've never been to Colorado, but from what I understand that everything feels a little differently there. So 80 degrees there probably feels differently. It was nighttime. I can imagine it probably being cold for somebody who has a blood condition that, that causes them to feel cold. I'm cold sometimes. And it's like, everybody else is burning up and I'm like, I'm freezing. I feel like my feet are going to fall off. I'm so cold. Like I, I have to have an extra heater. So I totally can understand it. He wanted, he was, he was an introvert as he stated from the very beginning when they approached him, he had this face covering, but it showed, you can watch video of him at the convenience store where he was moments before this happened at the convenience store. He purchased, made a purchase. Everybody in the convenience store, they were totally fine with him having a, a ski mask on. I mean, convenience stores are kind of uh, notorious for getting robbed, right? Nobody seemed to mind. And he was, he, he sort of like bowed to the person behind him, which his family said was sort of like something that he did as a sign of like, Oh gosh, I forget what they said now. Like respect. Yeah, it was kind of like a, a way of 
of acknowledging someone or saying, you know, saying hello or whatever. And that's what he did. They, they didn't seem to have a problem with it. But for whatever reason, the person who lived in that area and, or, or, or business owner or whoever it was, saw him with the ski mask, with the coat on at a time that he decided was not appropriate and didn't, didn't seem right, even though he wasn't doing anything illegal and decided to call the police. This is an opportunity I would like to, to use to remind people that if you if you decide to call the police because you, just because you don't like the way someone looks, you, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything illegal. You just they just look like someone that you decide in your head looks like they would be somebody that would do something wrong or illegal. You are inviting trouble to that person to that person's life. You don't know how that's going to end. You do not know what you're doing to another person. So just you know, take that into consideration. Think about what you're doing to someone. As innocent as of an act you think it is, you know, law enforcement, especially this day and time, is, you know, viewed differently. And it, it could it could end in tragedy as this situation. You know, I, I look just like you back to the very beginning of, you know, he has the right to wear whatever he wants. He has the right to act however he wants in, in public. As long as he's not hurting himself or somebody else, he's obvious. Yeah, he's walking, he's moving, he's carrying, you know, a grocery bag, a plastic bag. You know, he's minding his own business. He's not threatening people in the neighborhood or anything. Could there have been opportunities for law enforcement to take a step back and go, I'm just going to observe him for a few minutes and see what he does. You know, I'm in I'm in control of the situation if something did happen, you know, but he seems to be just walking down the road. So why don't I just watch him for just a couple of minutes just to go, okay, you know, I don't see anything unusual or maybe approach him differently in a non-threatening uh, manner of just saying, hey, you know, can I talk to you for just a second? Or, you know, a, a lot of times it's it's not only what you say, but how you say it. And if he's got earphones in that he's listening to music, which I think that was the, the report that he was listening to music, he may not hear the police officer, you know, telling him to stop, you know, come here or whatever. So you got to take all that into account. You know, maybe he was deaf, you know, and if you're not in front of a deaf person, they don't know that you're saying anything to them or, or telling them to stop. They're never going to hear you. So us jumping to conclusions based upon how somebody looks, what they're wearing. This is not the first time that that, that has turned based upon what somebody is wearing, that we automatically assume that they're up to no good. And, you know, I I just look at opportunities and, and yes, we are. Monday morning quarterbacks in this situation, but it's an opportunity to learn that maybe if I approach this person differently, none of this would have happened. You know, if I would have got his attention, been in front of him and said, identified myself and just calmly spoke to him and realized that he had a headset on, that he didn't hear me, that he's not purposefully just ignoring me, that there is a reason why he didn't hear me and the reason that he didn't stop. Well, and stop and think about the fact that, is he doing anything illegal? What is he doing that is so suspicious? What is it? Why does he not have the right to walk down the street 
wearing whatever he wants to wear. You know, it's ironic that just a year later, just a year later, had this happened, none of this probably would have happened because everybody was wearing masks, all kinds of masks, and nobody would have thought anything of it. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So the district attorney goes on to say, although we now know the tragic reality that Mr. McLean did not possess a weapon when he was stopped, the investigation proved that the police officers who responded to this incident did not know that critical detail. Consequently, the evaluation of the involved officer's reasonable belief must be based not upon what we know now, but the circumstances as they perceived them at the time. Here, the officers were responding to a 911 call made by a citizen who reported a male wearing a mask and acting suspicious. When the officers contacted Mr. McLean, he was walking down the street in an area known for criminal activity, wearing a ski mask and a coat on a warm summer night when it was reported to be approximately 80 degrees. To suggest that the officers had no basis to contact Mr. McLean discounts the experience and direct observations of the law enforcement officers, as well as the citizens' observations of suspicious activities that caused a report to law enforcement in the first place. The purpose and scope of the intrusion by a law enforcement officer is also based upon the standard of reasonableness. That is, while law enforcement officers should use the least intrusive means reasonably possible during the detention, they may use a reasonable degree of force necessary to accomplish the purpose of the stop. A law enforcement officer may use various forms of physical restraint under circumstances where such force constitutes a reasonable precaution for the protection and safety of the officers investigating the situation. Here, as with many calls for service, a degree of uncertainty surrounded the dispatch when the officers located Mr. McLean, who matched the description from the 911 call, he was carrying a plastic bag with unknown items in it. From the perspective of the law enforcement officers, Mr. McLean appeared to refuse to comply with the officer's lawful commands to stop. Mr. McLean's response caused the law enforcement officer's belief in the need to increase the degree of physical force in order to detain him and ensure that there was no criminal activity happening. All three officers attempted to have a conversation with Mr. McLean to determine his activities that led to a citizen to call 911. They also sought to ensure that he did not possess a weapon. According to one of the officers, during his initial contact, Mr. McLean reached for Officer Rosenblatt's gun. While the body camera video does not depict this action, the audio does and there is no evidence to dispute the perception of the officers in the need to escalate the use of force. This escalated the situation dramatically. From the officer's perception, it went from an investigatory stop to a potential life-threatening incident, and it certainly raised the officer's use of force. 
Criminal liability is established when the prosecution can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a person committed all of the elements of a crime defined by Colorado statutes, while the elements of the crimes of homicide vary widely. Each requires proof of a voluntary act prohibited by law together with a culpable state of mind as well as that the act caused the death of Mr. McLean. Here, although extensive, the scope and character of the intrusion by law enforcement officers in effecting Mr. McLean's detention was not itself a criminal act. There is no evidence that any one of the officers sought to cause injury or death to Mr. McLean. Rather, the evidence suggests that they exercised a degree of force they believed necessary to detain him and investigate into his possible criminal activity. Perhaps more importantly, in any homicide prosecution, the prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the involved individual's actions caused the death of a person. The result of the forensic autopsy demonstrate that the cause of Mr. McLean's death was undetermined. This is kind of frustrating. I'm getting so frustrated just reading this out loud because I just want to say, really? Because if they hadn't stopped him, if they had just, uh, as you said, observed, you know, answer the 911 call. I understand a citizen, a concerned citizen called. If they had just pulled up, watched him for a little bit, just kind of see what's going on, see what what were they what were they observing that looked suspicious, and just didn't bother him. Leave him to be in his own world where he was. He was just in his own world. He would still be alive today. And you're telling me that his death was not as a result of their actions? I don't I'm I'm a little confused about that. Mm-hmm. I guess he's just looking at the, you know, the black and white letter of the law mm-hmm. that that gives them the ability to reasonably stop him if there's a, you know, reasonable suspicion that that he could be up to something. I'm just so, I'm just struggling with the I mean, reasonable suspicion. The, I'm just yeah. really struggling with that. Yeah. Well, it's very subjective. Yeah. What what is what is weird to me may not be weird to you, or what's weird to you may not be weird to well, me. Well, it just gives all this I mean, power a to seeing, a human being, yeah, it to does. an individual. It really does. And and it gives them the, the ability to basically use their own biases, own biases to just judge other people and just decide whether that's suspicious or not. Clothing is just, clothing is suspicious? Yeah. I mean, we, nobody, you know, I... It, it would have been, I guess, going through their head about, you know, okay, is he mentally ill? Is there, is he deaf? Is, is there's, you know, there's so many other things that it can be other than just him being criminal. Do we need to protect and him? And I guess that's for where. Yeah. Is there, is he having right. a medical condition? So right. I, I, I get it's that. almost yeah. like the law says that everybody's assumed guilty until you prove them innocent in this situation. Because the the law says that I can the the law enforcement officer can stop you for any reasonable suspicion that you're doing something wrong, so you're guilty in that standpoint until I pat you down, don't find any weapons, find out that you're you know going about your business and going home. Um, it it just seems it just seems a little counter that our mind is not inquisitive enough to go okay, is he a criminal? Or is it, you know, he's, if he's, if he's dressed differently, then shouldn't I start thinking, okay, is he mentally ill? Is he got, is he got special needs? Does he need help? Um, it, 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 right. Yeah. 
Is there, is there something going on besides him being a criminal? You know, that's only one aspect of what I'm reasonably looking at to determine what's going on. And that's why I'm like, okay, you rush right up there. You jump out of your car. You tell him to stop. He doesn't. Your emotions are kicking in because, you know, he's not doing what you tell him to do. And so, therefore, I'm going to make you do what I tell you to do. And you come to find out that he has a headphone in. And he probably didn't hear. Which he did try to tell them. He did tell them that. And at that point, they're already, you know, their adrenaline is kicked in. And that's where, to me, their cover officers need to go pat them on the shoulder and go, okay, stop, take a breath. Let's stand back. I mean, what is he going to do? Run off? I mean, they're they're watching him. I mean, how far can he get in just a, a few minutes? You know, I it's like when you're chasing a car and they're at a danger to the public, then yes, you need to stop them. But now they've they're calling off um, you know, when they're doing chases because they're they're causing too much harm over a situation of a simple traffic stop just because you didn't stop. And I know every, the opposite, people are going to look at that and go, well, if he had just complied, if he had just stopped, not everybody thinks the way that you do, especially when you come from a culture of suspicion of law enforcement. Right, wrong, or indifferent, you've got to take that into account that we're living in a time where black and brown people see law enforcement differently than the cis white men <laughs> do in society. And we can't judge everybody by that. And hopefully things are changing a little bit. I, I think I, I think I see a little bit of change, but I don't know. It's it's still scary. It's still scary of 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 how people react. Yeah. Well, they, uh, this report goes on to say, therefore, the evidence does not support a conclusion that Mr. McLean's death was the direct result of any particular action of any particular individual. Under the circumstances of this investigation, it is improbable for the prosecution to prove cause of death beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of 12. Consequently, the evidence does not support the prosecution of a homicide. So in conclusion, they said, applying the facts of this incident to the applicable Colorado law, the evidence does not support the filing of any state criminal charges against the involved officers for the unfortunate and tragic death of Mr. McLean. According to Aurora Fire and Rescue, consistent with their accepted protocol, a standard medication routinely utilized to reduce reduce agitation was administered and reduced the exhibited anxiety. Several minutes later during the transport to the hospital, the patient suffered a cardiac arrest and life-saving measures were initiated. He regained a pulse and is currently being treated at a local hospital. Again, this, this was what was, this is the statement that was issued. Then the fire and rescue department issued their own statement about what happened. They said Aurora fire and rescue was called to assist Aurora police with a subject who, a subject, it was um, Elijah McLean, who needed medical attention. Aurora Fire Rescue personnel responded and initiated treatment to the patient. Aurora Fire Rescue, in conjunction with our EMS medical director, has conducted a preliminary review of the treatment provided and finds that the actions of the responders were consistent and aligned with our established protocols. In fact, the initial findings indicate that our personnel demonstrated a high level of technical skill and professionalism while providing care to the patient. City officials announced on February 6th they would hire an independent expert to review the case. 
police. Yeah, this is this was after there were lots of protests. Once this report came out and basically they said, well, we think that it was very tragic and sad, but it was an accident. So no one's going to be held accountable. People were really upset and there there were protests. And that's when city officials decided to hire an independent expert to review the case. So in May of 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was fatally restrained by police in Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 25th. Bystander video of the encounter sets off outrage and leads to widespread protests, including an aurora under the Black Lives, black Lives Matter movement. So that happened after, you know, a year later after this happened. And it just sort of, there was so much going on, it just snowballed. In early June, the three officers who confronted Elijah McLean were assigned to administrative duties, primarily due to safety concerns, because police and city employees were receiving threats. And this was according to a spokesperson from the police. So then Aurora police and city officials announced changes to police policies, including a ban on carotid holds. And then 10 days later, Governor Polis signed police accountability legislation into law requiring all officers to use activated body cameras or dashboard cameras during service calls or officer initiated public interactions. Ironically, this was already going on in Aurora. They had body cams. They had them. They were there. So that also barred officers from using chokeholds, which I don't even understand why that would have ever been allowed. Uh, really. That the governor also signed an executive order appointing Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser to investigate McLean's case. The governor announced on June 25th, more than 2 million people had signed a petition urging officials to conduct a new investigation investigation. On June 27th, protesters in the Aurora area gathered on Highway 225, temporarily shutting it down in a demonstration calling for justice in Elijah's death. On June 30th, the U.S. Attorney's Office for Colorado, the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division, and the FBI, FBI's Denver Division announced they have been reviewing the case since 2019 for potential federal civil rights violations. Then July of 2020, Aurora police on fired two officers who they said snapped selfie photographs at McLean's memorial site located where he was killed while they were on duty. They were on duty. They had they had their uniforms on. They were at his memorial site where all this happened and they took selfies. And not only did they take selfies, they took pictures of themselves mocking and imitating the chokehold maneuver and then sent it to one of the police officers that was there that night, Rosenblatt. And he replied back, ha ha. Mm -mm -mm. That's just, (laughs) I I mean, it's, it's obvious there, there's, there's no reason to even comment on that. That's just disgusting. Well, I, I, There, there is no, uh, I, it's hard for me to understand so much of this story, but for, for someone to be in, to have been involved in this, to then not be able to look 
back on it and just have so much regret and so much sadness. And so you just to feel, to not, I don't understand. I don't understand how someone involved, directly involved in this could reply to a text like that. How in the world you could not just be completely devastated that, that your actions, even if you didn't intend it, even if you think you were completely justified, even if you, whatever in your mind somehow justify your actions, how in the world you could reply back to a, a text message from other police officers like that making such, you know, so making light of this when, when he died and, and then knowing what kind of person he was, knowing his, the nat- you know, his nature, knowing how devastated his family was. It's, it's hard for me. To, I, I don't understand it. I can't wrap my brain around doing that in the first place. I mean, imitating the, the tragedy of somebody, you know, that's definitely crossing a line. I mean, we, we all have our gallows humor and darkness, you know, that we relieved stress over on bad calls, but to go out and photograph, I mean, it doesn't matter what your opinion about what transpired. That's, that's really poor taste. It's just, just disgusting. Yeah. It's very disgusting. The photos were actually taken on October 20th in 2019. You know, remember this happened in August. So it was that you can sort of see the mentality there and what was going on because when it happened, it didn't get a lot of publicity at first. And so the, I think, I think the police officers, you know, they knew there was an investigation, but I think that they were, they did not think that they were going to be held accountable. They did not think all of this other stuff was subsequently going to happen. And so this is their behavior. Clearly you would not have three unrelated police officers out in the field, sending photographs, sending pictures to a police officer that was connected with the situation. They would not be doing that if somehow there wasn't some sort of conversation going on that would lead them to do that. Do you you get what I'm going? Do you get where I'm going with Mm -hmm. that? No, absolutely. If there had not been this, I think... Uh, There's probably within the organization, it was, you know, the higher ups were like, don't worry about it. You know, the reports are all benign, you know, just give it a few days. This is going to go away. You know, nothing's going to come of it. And clearly they were talking about it and not caring about the death of Elijah McClain. They were they could. There's no way that these police officers would have sent that photo if they had been talking in a respectful manner about the death of this young man, if they had been talking as though they were devastated about it and it, how serious it was and how much they regret their actions or how much they regret that it happened, or if they had been saying anything like that, or just been tight-lipped about it, just like, I don't want to talk about it. It's, I, it's you know, what, for whatever reason, but they clearly, there had been some sort of communication, some sort of conversation that left those officers with the impression that they could send a picture like that. It was in the culture. It was acceptable within their culture to do that. And only because of public outcry did they, I'm sure, feel compelled to have to do something, you know. But, But at the time that this took place, I'm sure that they felt within their culture of the police department that it was acceptable to do. And that they would get away with it. 
Well, a third officer is seen in the photos, and they resign days before a pre-disciplinary uh, hearing. And then the Aurora City Council approved a resolution for an independent investigation of McLean's death to proceed. In August of 2020, the McLean family filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against the city of Aurora on August 11th. Aurora's unconstitutional conduct on the night of August 24, 2019, as part of a larger custom policy and practice of racism and brutality as reflected by its conduct, both before and after its murder of Elijah McLean, a young black man, the lawsuit stated. On the same day, Aurora City officials announced the police department would undergo a comprehensive review by external experts on civil rights and public safety. So in February of 21, Aurora City officials released a 157-page report. And that's interesting because the first report, you know, we read all that stuff before. It was like 54, but it was long. That was, that was long. This was 100, 157 pages detailing the findings of the independent that, uh, investigation it commissioned into Elijah's death. The report asserted that officers did not have the legal basis to stop, frisk, or restrain McLean. It also criticized emergency medical responders' decision to inject him with ketamine and rebuked the police department for failing to seriously question the officers after the death. Shanine McLean, Elijah's mother, cried while reading the report. She said it was overwhelming knowing my son was innocent the entire time and just waiting on the facts and proof of it. Shanine McLean told CNN, at the time, my son's name is cleared now. He's no longer labeled a suspect. He is actually a victim. Elijah McLean's father said the report only confirmed what the family already knew. There were police and medics who murdered my son must be held accountable, Luane Mosley said after the report's release. In response to the report, city officials began working on establishing an independent monitor to scrutinize police discipline. Um, so, you know, this is all in retrospect. They're, I mean, they're trying to do something about it, and, and that's good. Uh, clearly, this is what needs to happen in cities all across the country. Because if this is happening in this one microcosm, uh, this one city that got a, a huge spotlight sh shown on it because of this incident. Imagine if, if they, if they had just administered the ketamine and he got, they put him into the ambulance and they sent him off to the hospital and he just woke up, you know, kind of groggy and, and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And then the police are just like, Oh, oops, sorry. We thought you were doing something wrong. Cause you had, you know, a mask on your a uh, ski mask on your face, and we were wearing a coat, and it was eighty degrees. So we were we thought that looked suspicious in our opinion. Therefore, we thought we were justified in doing all of this stuff to you. Not, nothing else would have happened. They would have just kept on going with this culture. They would have just kept on going with the pro the processes, the policies that they had in place, and this is what this is what's going on. You know in cities all across our country. Now, I do want to say that I, 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 I feel like this is all, you know, negative toward the Aurora Police Department because it, you, can't, you, you can't get away from that. But I, I, I'm very thankful to have people who are willing to be police officers and do that job. It's very dangerous. And so 
if we don't have somebody willing to get in between us and someone who's wanting to harm us or, you know, do something illegal, what are we going to do? What is, where does that leave us? So we, we have to have people willing to protect us. We do have to have law enforcement. It's, and, but we, we also need law enforcement and all of public safety to really have a culture of accountability and know that any, any bad actors within the ranks are going to be singled out and uh, gotten rid of. Because um, one bad apple is going to spoil the bunch. And so it you does. are going to hold the whole police department accountable when it's not the whole police department. Well, and one bad apple can also that create culture. That's the thing. One yes. strong personality can, can permeate throughout a, a unit a unit in a hospital, a police force, anywhere. That's just the way it works. And so you have to have very strong policies in place. You have to be proactive to to fight against that happening. You cannot. And like my husband said today when I was talking, because I've been, oh, this has just been weighing so heavily on me. I told him this whole story today. And he said, the only way that you are going to be able to do anything about this and prevent it from happening is by coming down really hard on the people that do this. You just have to. Mm -hmm. Examples have to be made. It's unfortunate that it takes tragedy to facilitate that. And this young man died. But if we can make something good come of his, his life, as well as his death, then like you said, if we can save one person and we do something different the next time, then it, it, that doing this will be worth it. His life, losing his life will never be worth facilitating change. But at least we can talk about it and facilitate change and make something good happen from the tragedy so that, that his family can be at least at peace or somewhat at peace, knowing that that people did pay attention and that we're facilitating changes with all, within all of our organizations. In no way would, would you ever want someone to have to sacrifice their life for, for anything, for any reason. But the fact that it happened, you want there to be some good to come from it. You want to be able to find some way of taking that horrible incident and turning it in, you know, using it to prevent further tragedy, to to bring about change and change in policy, change in perceptions, change in culture, change in procedures, just to to push push us our society forward when we're just stagnant in these in these issues and these situations. We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low dose CBD product, you may not feel anything. But it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high dose CBD products that actually work. And now their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new extra strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. 
This new strength will by far maintain CBD Stats' status as the most powerful CBD product line on the market. More CBD means it's more effective in helping everyone tackle daily aches and pains. CBD Stats sent me a box of these new products, and I already knew it was going to work because I've been using it for my neck pain and foot pain, but I can definitely tell the difference in this new strength, and I'm really excited to get to tell you guys about it. And on top of these new higher strength products, they're also dropping prices across the board on all their products to make CBD Stat not only the most effective on the market, but also the most affordable. And don't forget, all you healthcare workers out there get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. My heart goes out to his family. I, I can't even imagine the situation. I know they, they didn't want to be in this situation where their loved one is somehow the person that is initiating all of this out of anybody that that given the same situation they would have never said Elijah would be the person to do that and to lose his life because of it because of who he was that just wasn't him it was counter to who he was as a as a human it's like that someone so peaceful someone so gentle yeah. of spirit and giving and sacrificial would end up being a catalyst for for changing this culture of violence and what I don't know what else you would call it racism it's mm-hmm. just a just the bias against an individual for being themselves just being themselves I mean, with it's... how they look for how they dress clothing should not be suspicious i'm sorry but clothing is their clothes their clothes you can't i, I don't i don't understand and what i find you know, I'm. I, I don't like how somebody dresses. That's that's on me. That ain't on them. That ain't. That has nothing to do with with me. Well, and I yeah, and it can make you uncomfortable. That's okay if it makes you uncomfortable. Go in your house. Leave. But I see plenty of times that people have things on their T-shirts or things that say negative things against who I may be or or who who I choose to love, and you know. I, that that doesn't give me the right to, you know, like beat them up and, you know, take their life because it's something that I disagree with. But the same respect that in, in that respect, you have to give respect to another person that chooses to wear something that you don't think that is normal. You know, somebody that is from the Muslim faith that's used, that's wearing their headscarf. You know that depending on where you live in the country or in 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 yeah in in our country or in our society, you may never encounter somebody that looks like that. And and when you do, it you know, do you stare? Do you like shun that person? Do you you know what's what's your emotions about when you encounter somebody that that looks or acts differently? And I, I think that that was one of the points that I wanted to bring out and and try to educate people is that we need to do an inventory of ourselves and we need to look inward to our own biases and figure out you know just what what are they what what are my beliefs you know there's there's bias tests that you can take if you just google bias harvard university there's a number of them out there sexuality weight gender or religion and there's simple tests that you can take, and it tells you what your bias is. You know, it's 
but it's a guide. It's not going to tell you how to how to change that bias. It's just going to let you know that it is there. But if I'm a person that's wanting to learn from my own experiences, then I should take that information and go, okay, how can I respond differently when I encounter a person that is gay, that is Muslim, that is fat, that is, you know, that has congenital deformities to their face or arms or something? You know, how am I going to react and respond to that? How am I going to react and respond to somebody else that I see that may be mocking them? You know, am I going to turn and just walk the other way or am I going to confront that person and say, hey, that's, you know, you know, if I'm in the workplace, that adds a whole new layer to, you know, what we should be doing. We shouldn't let our our coworkers go unchecked because of that. It's not it's not acceptable to, to behave in in a workplace like that. I mean, we have rules of decorum and it's the decent thing to do regardless of what the rules are. You know, you leave your personal biases where they are, but recognizing them goes a long way. I have biases. Everybody has them, but it's what you're willing to do with them that that really, to me, is where the rubber meets the road. Um, You know, recognizing that they do exist and that I need to check them. And, And sometimes... I, I need to redo my inventory and go, okay, what's changed in my life that may influence how I view something? And is that is that rooted in fact or is is that not fact and and that I need just need to let that go? So it's it's really conversations that I think we need to have with ourselves, our families. I was listening to you, I think it was one of your last podcasts that you were talking about you and your family get together and and you pick a topic and you just discuss it and you get everybody's perspective on that. What if we did that in society in small groups and and had different perspectives and just sit down and roundtable this stuff and realize that we're all not so different in what we want out of life. We just come at it from a different perspective. None of it's wrong. It's just how we we view getting to that point. But if we can if we understand everybody's perspective, then, you know, everybody's able to get along and, and, and be happier. Um, you know, I go back to my Christian faith and, and, and being a part of um, an organization called um, Just Faith that looks at, at different aspects of, of society and how it relates to religion. And, and we did that. We would set, set round, you know, a round table in, in a room and, and we would have questions that was asked of us and we would respond to them and, and then we would respond to other people. And you learn from each other. Everybody comes from a, you know, we had a cross section of people from ages, different walks of life, different races, ethnicities, backgrounds, upbringings, political affiliations, you know, and, and, and it was all done very respectful. And there's just something I think what we've lost in society that we can't have a respectful conversation with people that differ from us. It, you don't have to leave, you know, I don't, I'm not there to change your mind over anything, but at least listen to what I have to say and my perspectives. The worst, it, the, one of the funniest things, it wasn't funny, it was very ironic. And I, I, I face this a lot because when you look at me, you know, I, I'm, I sound Southern, I'm white, 
I got gray hair. It's obvious that I have some years on me. And people look at me and they automatically assume certain things that I'm probably straight, that I'm Republican, that I'm conservative, and automatically start saying things to me that relates to that without even, you know, they're a stranger. I was on a cruise ship. We, we had a, me and my husband went on a cruise for our anniversary back in December. And we were sitting at a table eating and this gentleman came and he was like, hey, can I sit down? Because, you know, the, all the seats were taken. Sure, you know, sit down. And then he immediately starts assuming that I had come from a, a specific perspective. Now, I have no idea what his initial thoughts that I was sitting across. My husband is African-American. I'm sitting across the table from my spouse, which he doesn't know that, but I'm sitting there with somebody that looks differently than me. We're having a conversation. So obviously there's some, you know, something going on between us that we're at least friendly. We're having a conversation, whether we just met or we know each other. And he starts asking all these questions about politics and all. And I'm just like, why do you automatically assume that that I believe the way you do because I look like you? And it just goes back to don't automatically assume that somebody looks and, and behaves a certain way just because they may look like you. And the, re the reverse is true. Just because they look different than you doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. But he got a, I think he finally understood, I mean, you know, that I'm, I'm like just kind of trying to play it off and ignore him because, I mean, when I'm confronted with stuff like that, it's either I can challenge it and, and somewhat ruin my next hour because I've had to, you know, <laughs> challenge somebody yeah. surrounding that, or I'm never going to see you again, you know, go on and just leave me alone. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm here on vacation. That's the last thing from my mind is I, I want to be discussing anything to do with politics and anything else. And I think he finally got the jest that, you know, that we were more than just an acquaintance that was sitting at the same table, that there was actually some connection between me and me and my spouse. So he got up and excused himself because I, I, I hope that he realized that he may have inserted his foot in his mouth. And that he needed to kind of. I'm sure that taught him a lesson. Maybe learn yeah. that from that. I hope. I hope. Yeah. So, well, that's why we do these podcasts so that people can. If you if you hear people talking about about things, sometimes you can learn something, and you don't have to learn it the hard way like that. You know, you can hear something like that and and think, oh. I guess I need to be more careful rather than being in a situation where then you walk away, you know, kind of like embarrassed or it was awkward. <laughs> so. You know, we can't change what happened in this situation. Elijah died. There's people going to jail. They're being held accountable. Their uh, lives are ruined across the spectrum because for everybody that's going to jail, they have family that's going to suffer because of this. Elijah's family is certainly suffering from, from the loss of him. What he may have done in the future to society, we've lost, we've all lost that. So we've all lost something in these situations. And, you know, if we can start breaking them down and understanding how did we get there, what could we have done different? And then in given the situation that 
transpired, we can say that, okay, all of this was perfectly normal. It was within their rights to stop him. It was within their rights to forcefully detain him. It was within the rights of the the paramedics to to follow their protocols and, and give him a dose of ketamine. But then tragedy happened because of that. And was that because we we were very cavalier about it and myself as a as a paramedic did i just automatically assume okay i give him ketamine and he's going to react normally to it and that he's just going to go unconscious he's going to continue breathing we're going to go to the hospital and everything's fine it's normal but they didn't recognize that at some point he had stopped breathing for whatever reason whether it's ketamine or excited delirium, a buildup of he was acidotic, you know, he had a heart arrhythmia. It could be a lot of things. Does any of that matter? Any time that we do something as a healthcare provider, we've got to be ready. Our spider sense, our spidey senses have got to be on edge that I'm giving a medication and I've got to be able to monitor what happens and I've got to be able to react because anything could happen. You could have an allergic reaction to a medication that I give you. And I've got to immediately know what an allergic reaction looks like and be able to respond to that appropriately uh, by giving you a dose of epinephrine. I mean, I'm not going to just sit there and ignore that you're struggling to breathe or you've stopped breathing. I'm going to react. Yeah. And the fact is that when when that paramedic did administer the ketamine, he did not assess his patient before he claimed that he checked his pulse. He, he claimed that he checked his, his carotid pulse. But in the video, he very clearly had that he had one hand that was injecting that was giving the, the shot and the other hand was laying on his Elijah's shoulder nowhere near where he would be taking a pulse. And I, w- I would hope that a paramedic knows good and where good and well where to take a pulse. And so the fact that he didn't even before. And also think about this. I have done so many stories on this podcast about people who have gone into cardiac arrest out, just out in, and, and about or at, at work or at a pool or on an airplane or wherever. And someone who does who's not even a medical professional administers CPR, paramedics get there, they hook them up to the Zol, they have to shock them, they give them epinephrine, they give them whatever they need to give them to get get their heart back in the correct rhythm. And they get them to the hospital and they actually recover. They end up, you know, maybe having surgery or whatever they they have to do to get them, you know, had a heart attack for, for some reason, but they did not suffer an anoxic brain injury. Why? Because of the compressions were done immediately and correctly. And you would hope that a paramedic, two paramedics who are administering a sedative to a patient would have started CPR immediately. They should have known immediately when his heart stopped. Had they started CPR immediately after his heart stopped, if they had recognized that that happened and had started CPR immediately, would he have suffered an anoxic brain injury? I think probably not. Probably not. I, I, it, that's just my- it, it's hard to dispute. I mean, it's you're 
as soon as, like I said earlier, and I think it was in the in the first episode, as soon as that needle leaves the arm, you know that ketamine is going to put somebody under in that situation in one to two minutes. I've, I have then, I'm immediately going to start assessing my patient. I, I've got to check their airway. If they are struggling to the point where I am, I am not permitted to be able, you know, they are so violent and they're being held down by four and five police officers or, or people or, or medical professionals or wherever the situation is, and there is no opportunity to do an assessment. There are times that that occurs. It doesn't mean that you're going to wait. Just as soon as that person starts to relax, that's when you go into your your assessment mode. You're going yeah. to check airway, ABCs. breathing, and circulation. You've I mean, it goes sure. right back to yeah. what Absolutely. We're, we're taught. I mean, and that, that goes across any, it doesn't matter what flavor of medical profession you are. Paramedic, EMT, paramedic, LPN, RN, medical doctor, chiropractor. Everybody's taught the same thing is that Anytime a patient's condition changes, you go back and you start reassessing why that is. You know, are they breathing? Do they have an airway? Are they breathing? And do they have a pulse? I mean, that's the bedrock of any assessment that we do. And you react to it appropriately and, and promptly. And like you said, it's just hard to, where was the lag time of, you know, where did he get so oxygen deprived at? You know, was he already somewhat deprived of oxygen and then they gave him ketamine and, and he relaxed to the point where now I'm not breathing because I've got this big dose of ketamine. And then we just make maybe make an assumption that he's relaxed because of the ketamine. And a couple of minutes later, we go, oh, well, he's not breathing. But how long has he not been breathing? I mean, there's just... There's really so many unanswered questions just in that that few moments. And, and you saw the video. You know, my, I've questioned whether it needed to be given really at that point anyway. I don't this, think it. I personally is, don't think it needed to be given. I mean, if you watch the video, it's hard to understand why they felt like they needed to do that at that point. Right. And so, I mean, and that comes up to, and I've heard this. And I, I've heard this from other people, and and this goes to a bit of a culture, you know, where EMS shows up with law enforcement, and you know, there you you respond to similar scenes. You get to know law enforcement. Some people are buddy buddy. You know, they 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 take it for granted that what they're being told is truthful because of I have some sort of relationship with my. My brother, law enforcement officers that you sometimes hear said, because we're all considered kind of public safety family. And so the paramedics walk up and law enforcement goes, hey, he, he, he's struggling. He's fighting. Can you give him something? Yeah, I can give him something. And I'm going to do that just because the law enforcement officer has asked me to do that without even any thought of assessing my patient. You have got to have sound medical reason to be able to act and respond to a medical treatment. It cannot be on the whim of, especially a law enforcement officer, they're not medical. They're calling you because you're the expert. If they were medical, they wouldn't have called you. If they knew how to handle the situation and give medications or whatever, they wouldn't have called 
EMS. They would have handled it themselves. So they're calling you because you are the expert. So act like the expert that you are and assess the situation. If he is fighting and he is at a danger to himself and he's at a danger to law enforcement, that's one thing you've got to react to that. If that is not going on and there's the struggle is not to the point where there is immediate harm to anybody, he's just struggling, then take a moment to assess the situation and go, okay, can we just can we just release him and talk to him? You know, is that an, even an option at this point? Can, how do we need to de-escalate the situation? You know, I've been around long enough. You know, I, I did my paramedic training in the 80s. We didn't have ketamine. We didn't have Haldol. I think the only sedative, I, I carried two things. I carried one narcotic, which was morphine, and I carried one benzo, which was Valium. Valium was for seizures. Morphine was for heart pain. We, did, we rarely even got orders for fractures for morphine. I mean, it was almost unheard of for me to call the hospital and go, hey, I got somebody with a broke femur. Can I give them some morphine? Because anytime you administer anything to somebody, you run the risk of them reacting to it. Yeah, it just wasn't within the repertoire of the pre-hospital setting to do that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to risk someone's life in that setting. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day, and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. If you're like me and you don't want ads interrupting your podcast flow, you can access our episodes ad-free just by becoming a patron. You can also have access to bonus material like episodes being released early, the video footage of me and my guests recording the episode, and a brand new podcast that's offered exclusively to our Patreon subscribers called Breakroom Conversations. Your support will really help us to keep the podcast running smoothly. To learn more, just head on over to our website, goodnursebadnurse.com, and click the link to become a patron. On September 1st of 2021, 
The state attorney general announced a grand jury indicted officers Rodema, Rosenblatt, Woodyard, and paramedics Kachunik and Cooper. They were each charged with manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide as part of a 32-count indictment. Rodema and Rosenblatt also were indicted on one count of assault and one count of crime of violence. Cooper and Kachunik were further indicted on three counts of assault and six counts of a crime of violence. So on September 15th, the Colorado Attorney General's office released a 112-page report that found the Aurora police had a pattern of practicing racially biased policing, excessive force, and had failed to record legally required information when interacting with the community. The report also found the police department used force against people of color almost two and a half times more than against white people. The state investigation also revealed the fire department had a pattern of administering ketamine illegally, according to the attorney general's office. So in November of 2021, the state attorney general's office and the city of Aurora agreed November 16th on terms of a consent decree to address the issues raised in the office's report two months earlier. The city finalized an agreement to pay $15 million to McLean's family to settle the federal civil civil rights lawsuit um, on November 19th of that same year. In September of 2022, the cause of death in McLean's case was changed in light of evidence from the grand jury's investigation. And according to an amended autopsy report publicly released September 23rd. So the initial autopsy report had said the cause of death was undetermined, but the amended report listed complications of ketamine administration following forcible restraint as the cause of death. The manner of death remained undetermined in the amended report. So simply put, this dosage of ketamine was too much for this individual, and it resulted in an overdose, even though the blood ketamine level was consistent with a, quote, therapeutic concentration, which is what the pathologist Dr. Stephen Cena wrote in an amended autopsy report. He said, I believe that Mr. McLean would most likely be alive, but for the administration of ketamine. Cena could not determine whether the carotid hold contributed to the death. He said, but I have seen no evidence that injuries inflicted by the police contributed. So on September 20th, Rodema and Rosenblatt, two of the officers who arrested McLean, stood trial in charges of manslaughter, criminally negligent homicide and assault. Prosecutors said they used excessive force on McLean, failed to follow their training and misled paramedics about his health status. In contrast, defense attorneys placed blame on McLean for resisting arrest and on the paramedics who treated him. So in October of 2023, Rodema was found guilty of criminally negligent homicide and assault. Rosenblatt was acquitted of all charges. On October 16th, the third officer Woodyard stood trial on charges of reckless manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. Like in the earlier trial, prosecutors argued he used excessive force on McLean, while defense attorneys argued the force was necessary and blamed the paramedics. And then in November of 2023, Woodyard was found not guilty on all charges. McLean's mother, Sheenan, told CNN affiliate KUSA she no longer has faith in the justice system after Woodyard's acquittal. It let us down, not just people of color. It lets everybody down. She said they don't do the right thing. They always do the bare minimum. Cooper and Chikurnik, the paramedics who treated McLean, stood trial on charges of reckless manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. And in, in December of 2023, both paramedics testified that they believed McLean was experiencing excited delirium during his confrontation with Aurora police officers and that their treatment protocol was to administer a ketamine dose they believed was safe 
and would not kill a person. Prosecutors said the paramedics didn't take any accountability for any single one of their actions while testifying at their trial. They both stood there while Elijah got worse and worse and did nothing. They are both responsible. This is according to the attorney general. Cooper and Chikunik were found guilty of criminally negligent homicide. And then Chikunik was also found guilty of second degree unlawful administration of drugs assault charge. Randy Redima was just today, January 5th, 2024, sentenced to 14 months in jail with work release and four years of probation. You know, just so people understand an innocent young man who was doing nothing, nothing illegal, nothing wrong, living his life, enjoying music, coming home. He he had just gotten paid, his according to his cousin, and he was just, you know, had gone to the convenience store walking down the street. He's gone. He is no longer with us. He is no longer here to, as you said, said earlier to who knows what he would have done for this world. He was a, he was a light in this world. He was someone who brought light into this world, according to everybody that knew him. And so it is an extreme loss for anyone who would have come in contact with him in the future that he's not here anymore. And so many lives are absolutely destroyed because of this. You know, you think of all of his family members, you think about the paramedics, you think about the police officers. When I see those, those photographs, you know, I want to have compassion for the police officers and say, well, maybe they really thought they were doing the right thing. And they just needed, you know, education and understand that you're not handling this correctly. But then when I see those something is really, really wrong. Really, really, really wrong in that situation. So, you know, I I know we just need to kind of round this out. There is a lot of debate about the terminology of excited delirium. It's fact it's been disemboweled by all of the major medical associations and that has been encouraged not to use that terminology in any medical documentation, the American Medical Association, the, the College of Emergency Physicians, EMS Physicians, the APA, I mean, it, the list goes on of all the organizations that have said that that terminology is not rooted in in anything to do with medical science. So they encourage, at least from a pre-hospital provider standpoint, to use descriptions about what's going on. Just describe the situation. The patient had stripped down to their underwear and they were they were violently fighting the police and they were trying to be restrained. I mean, you describe the situation. Don't worry about trying to diagnose. Yeah. Put a the label issue. on it. Just yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. So we just need to describe it that the situation going on. There's not anything in research that I have found that is able to even define what excited delirium is. There was an article from when I first started hearing about this was was the end of the like 2010. There was an article that came out in one of our journals, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. This is February 1st of 2011. It's called Excited Delirium Strikes Without Warning. And this was one of the first articles that I could see about pre-hospital warning. And it just went through what it had been previously called and, and kind of what happens and these kind of the syndromes associated with it. And 
was there problems associated with tasers and and that would cause the body to react differently and and so they i think all of this has been kind of disproven i mean we we're moving as recommended away from that type of terminology i mean everybody recognizes us what it is we we call it different things and i think that's important about what you like you said about labels because if we label something differently then we view it differently and we will treat it differently so if somebody is agitated is different than being excited agitation i mean that just to me is is heightened you know agitation oh that you know they're violent at that point you know where no they're just agitated and why are they agitated do they have mental health issues going on is there something medically going on i mean they could have a, a organic brain disorder i mean patients with dementia they act out all the time in their later stage stages. They can be violent. They can hit you. That doesn't mean that that there's something that we need to, you know, restrain that person at that period of time. I mean, you got to look at at what's going on with that individual at the at the time. So just be careful about your biases. Do your personal inventory. If you have these protocols, uh, especially in the pre-hospital setting and also in the ERs, review them. Make sure that they are sound based upon what is evidence-based right now. There's plenty of articles, medically published, peer-reviewed articles on these subjects. Ketamine is by and large safe and plays a role in pre-hospital and the ER. It's, it, you know, I'm... I'm on the fence with ketamine. You know, there there's some paramedics that just absolutely love ketamine and that and they use it quite a bit. Everybody has options and protocols on how you're going to respond and react. Just because I can give ketamine in this situation doesn't mean that it's the only thing that I can do. So myself as a healthcare professional, you know, I'm going to weigh the situation and see, okay, is this the best course? Is this the best medication? I also have a benzo and Haldol that I can give. Maybe this person would react, you know, I, they, I don't know that they have psychological issues, but if I see a young man that is dressed differently than I am and he's been reported that he's waving his arms, could he be schizophrenic? Do I want to give ketamine in somebody that's schizophrenic? Heck no. So I would be better served to give my benzo and Haldol. But for me to walk up and a law enforcement officer goes, hey, can you give him ketamine because he's acting out? No, I'm not going to give him ketamine just because you asked me. I will give ketamine when I determine that he needs ketamine. And that will be based upon sound medical decision that I will make, not you. Because you're not going to be sitting in the hot seat when this goes wrong. I am. Well, I hope that this, going through this whole story, talking about all these things, hearing Roger, who is an expert in this field, he actually literally has done the job, both uh, as an RN and, and as a paramedic. And so I hope that this in some way has helped some people. I hope it's helped open some eyes and educate some people and change some ways that we look at things, ways that we do things. Hopefully it will help give our people in healthcare give better care to patients. Please be compassionate with people, even if it, with everyone. Please, please allow people to be themselves and try not to judge people just based on the clothes that they're wearing or the certainly the color of their skin. I, hate hate that I have to even say that, but 
And if you don't understand something, ask. Ask somebody that knows. Yep. I mean, and that that's from ICU to ER. I mean, if you don't understand why the ER does something, instead of poking fun at them, ask. I mean, you know, don't automatically assume that everybody's doing it just to irritate you. I mean, there may be a sound reason why that's going on. And, you know, ER nurses, if you don't, if you don't have a close relationship with EMS and you don't understand why they do certain things, because there, there are different professions, you have to, you have to approach things differently. Ask, why do you do this? You know, there's no reason to point a finger. You just ask. Say, I don't understand. When I was working, I worked a 911 truck the other day, first time in a couple of years. I can still do that job, I'm here to say. But I was in the ER. So my badge, I was still wearing a shirt that said paramedic, but my badge says RN because I was still working for the hospital. And I went to a competitor. And the second time I was in there, one of the nurses looked at me and said, why are you allowed to ride the ambulance? Because she saw that I was an RN. And RNs don't normally ride on a 911 ambulance bringing patients in. And I said, well... I'm a little bit of a hybrid. And she said, oh, you're a paramedic too, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. So I'm a paramedic today, not a nurse. She was like, I want to do what you do. <laughs> so she asked. I mean, it was like, it was something that she had never seen before. Why is an RN bringing in a patient from the street? This just doesn't even make sense to me. So she asked. She was like, how, how is it that you're able to work an ambulance as a nurse? Not even thinking. Then, then when I said it, she was like, oh, you're a paramedic too. Right. And she got Nothing it. Nothing wrong with asking questions. Yep. And don't be just offended. Ask. Don't be offended if somebody asks you a question. Just can I answer the question. Heck I mean, no. You don't have to yeah. answer the question if you don't want to, but if you you know, just just try not to be offended. Take it upon yourself to educate people. And that's and if nothing else in this situation in the podcast, just educate. If you don't understand Ask somebody, read something, look something. There is there is no reason to be ignorant in anything that you have a question about. Absolutely. I Google stuff. <laughs> all the, the time. most asinine stuff all the time <laughs> because I just, it's like somebody will say something. I'm like, why do you say that? Where did that come from? And I'll Google it. And there's some folklore out there that yeah. why people say what they do. I mean, <laughs> but you can find it on Google the internet. Just Google thing. it. I mean, there's there's no reason to be ignorant. <laughs> well, Roger, thank you so, 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 so much for coming. You're the, literally the perfect person to do this story with. I appreciate your I insight. Appreciate I appreciate your expertise and your willingness to do all the research that you did to give us all the information that you did. I hope it hel- has helped someone. My heart absolutely goes out to Elijah McLean's family absolutely, and all of the people that were impacted by this. There's probably going to be people out there that's going to uh, disagree with some of the things. Don't hate on Tina. A hundred percent. This is, comes from me. <laughs> oh, they'll hate Do on me. It's okay. Do not hate on Tina. They, they will. It's all right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we, we try to bring factual stuff. We have biases, like I said. You know, we try to lead them outside of the podcast, but, you know, they sneak in here and oh, there. They will. Um, it's okay. They are what they are. It's okay. Yeah. But no, please don't hate, you know, just just educate. Please educate yourself. You guys know that if you have, if you want to talk to me about anything, if you want to let me know what your opinion is about any of this stuff, I love to hear from you. You can send me an email at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. We're on social media at goodnursebadnurse. You can also find us on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. Love to, love to hear from you guys. And of course, before we leave, I have to remind you, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, Be a good nurse.